Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And one of the things that new entrepreneurs keep looking for is, oh, how do I get that technical co-founder? I have an idea. I'd like somebody who can partner with me. Joining me today is someone who essentially is a technical co-founder you can hire and one who can actually do the work. His name is Chris Stegner. He is the founder of Very Big Things. It's a digital products and services agency. I didn't think that somebody could raise money and then go to a company like his and say, okay, now help me think this idea through and design it for me. And then by the way, also build it for me. And then I'll go and, you know, get some traction and raise money. I, I didn't even think that investors would, would go for that or that any entrepreneur would do that, but apparently it's a thing. And Chris's company has done that and more. And I invited him here to talk about how he got here about also the previous companies that he started about the successes, the failures, and then why I read an article somewhere that said that he sold the company and he, he didn't even know how much he sold it for, but it was, it was significant. How do you, how do you not know how much you sell a company for? We'll ask him about that and so much more. And we can do it thanks to uh, HostGator, our sponsor. If you need a website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Chris, good to have you here. Papa was one of your customers. What's Papa? Um, Papa is grandkids on demand is how I was originally uh, formed, but basically it's solving the issue of loneliness for the elderly. I mean, they pay and they have like a college student come over to their house and just hang out and talk about what's going on in life and what's life like in college. Exactly. Exactly. Like, uh, like I mentioned, Andrew Parker could definitely uh, come on sometime yep. and, and give you a much better description, but at the end of the day, that's exactly it. It's, you know, uh, loneliness is a major epidemic in, in the United States and throughout the world. And they're basically uh, finding solutions to that by also at the same time providing, you know, college students with, with opportunity as well. So, yeah, I could see that it would make sense even for the college students beyond getting paid. It's a little bit of interaction with somebody that you wouldn't ordinarily get to learn from. All right. So he had this idea. You told me he raised $100,000 before he came to you in small chunks of like $10,000 each. I would think $100,000, you get two people, you're done. Um, and did he have any, did he have a line of code? Did he have customers? What did he have? Yeah, so so in, in the, the somewhere around 100,000, but don't quote me on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the idea is correct. Um, from there, I mean, funny enough, he, he had contracted one agency um, before us to actually help them build this out. And uh, as with, I think, a lot of new founders, you don't really know what the difference of good quality, bad quality, or who you're hiring is. It's just, hey, I've got an app, you build apps, or I need an app, you build apps, let's do this. And uh, and unfortunately, it had been burned really bad, and, and the app that they built for him just was crap. So at that point, he came to us, and, and honestly, like, I think a great story for all of, all of your uh, aspiring entrepreneurs is, you know, we're, we're pretty picky about the founders that we do work with. We, you know, we, we like to uh, poke and prod a little bit and make sure that, that they're going to do something amazing that we jump in with them and help them to, to really blow up. And what attracted us to, to Andrew Parker, the CEO of Papa, so much early on was the fact that even though we had had this kind of uh, crappy app built for him, he just threw it away. And he said, I'm going to prove out this model on my own before I spend another dollar. And he went and he found a bunch of cheap to free services, things like 
Google Sheets and and Twilio accounts that cost him ten dollars that he could send text messages himself through, and through all these little systems, he made a system that wasn't scalable but worked to actually prove out the idea. And and then from there, I mean, he went out and he actually had college students signing up, and he had you know some some elderly people sign up, and the elderly and from, people paid for it themselves. This wasn't insurance uh, paid for program. Exactly. Then. At this point, it was just okay. like they're so coming out had, of their pocket. So he had that, and now he said, "Chris, I just want to get a sense of what you built, and then we'll talk about how you got here and the previous businesses." But he was able to come to you and say, "This is what I have. Let's talk through what this could look like." The two mm-hmm. of you talked it through, you designed it, your team did, designed a few ideas with him, right? And then you, your team coded it up and the very first version that was fully coded up, not one of these no code pieces, piece together thing was built by your team. Correct, yeah. What do you charge for something like that? Um, well, I mean, honestly, it was, it was different back then than it is today. Uh, you know, we work extremely agile and, and it's different with startups too. So um, it's it's hard to put an exact number on. I'm sure if, if, if you built out technology, you know, it's it's Give me a ballpark. I just want to get a sense. Are we talking about 50,000, 100,000, 20,000? I mean, I'd say these days with the, with, with the clients we're working on, most of our projects start closer to the 250,000 range. Um, however, what we are doing still is when we find entrepreneurs that have, we believe in the entrepreneur, we believe in the idea, then we give them assistance to figure out how to get from where they are to the next step. Um, and, you know, we, we did that recently uh, with, with one of our clients where you know, they basically said, hey, I raised $100,000 on a, on a uh, kind of like a kickstarter.com campaign. And, uh, and at this point, like I've got 50 grand that I need for my staff. I got 50 grand for you guys. How do I get to actually turning this into something big? And, uh, and from there, we, we helped them come up with a, you know, a strategy to what we could do, how we could help out. And then I think, you know, within like three months, he raised a million dollars. And, and since then now has made like some awesome partnerships and, and has brought in a lot more um, revenue too. So it's, okay. I wouldn't have thought that this would be a thing. I wouldn't have thought that investors would be willing to, back a company where the key part of what they do is outsourced to someone else. You realize this was a thing because you worked in a venture capital firm. And mm-hmm. what did, what were you seeing that made you say, I think I have a new idea for what I can build. Yeah. No, I love that. That's a, that's a great question. Um, so to your point, um, I, I was, I was a CTO and, and junior partner at a VC fund. And basically the idea was we had cut a check to a startup for three to 5 million bucks. Uh, at that point, I was supposed to jump in and help them figure out whatever came next, whether it's um, their go-to-market strategy, their monetization, their development, their design, whatever it was. And something that I'd get plagued with was say, okay, here's 3 million bucks, now build a dev team or, or expand your one-person dev team into a real dev team because we want to see all this stuff built in the next six months. Like we gave you 3 million bucks, six months, it better be done, ready to rock. And then six months later, they're sitting there and they're still trying to hire two or three people that can just work well together. That didn't lie on their resumes. Ah, okay. There wasn't drama. Um, okay. Or they realized, hey, we, we need front-end people. We need back-end people. We need all these roles. And it's just taking us a long time just to hire them. So there was that side of things, um, which then drove us to say to them, okay, forget about building a dev team right now. You can do that over time. Just go and hire an agency. 
And when the agencies were on the flip side, where they were like, cool, give us a scope, give us a check, give us three months and we'll come back and here's your product and yep. good luck, right? Okay. And for anybody that's building businesses, uh, especially tech businesses, yeah, I'm sure you've heard the term agile, like you need to be constantly paying attention to what's happening throughout the development, what features people are liking, doing focus group testing, all these different things where the actual end product should never really be what you set out to build on day one. And there was no agency to do this, period. So it's, it's the old, you know, I guess best advice to an entrepreneur ever, solve your own problem, right? So at that point, I just, I grabbed from the VC fund, uh, our VP of investment, our creative director. Um, Meaning a, you hired them away from the VC fund. Hired them away. Okay. And said, hey guys, this is a problem we're all facing. Nobody solved it. Why don't we be the guys to solve it? Uh, I'm sure there's other people that have the same problem. And, uh, and then previously I was at a consulting company that had, you know, uh, done a lot of very high end products for, for companies like Apple and Walmart and, and T-Mobile and so forth. And I went and I hired away three of their top developers that were like good friends when I was there and said, we're starting this thing called very big things. We're actually going to build software, uh, design software, help with ideation and strategy in a way that actually helps a startup that's raised capital. Where'd you get the money to do this, to hire all these people away? Yeah, I mean, so great question. Um, number one, all of the partners decided they'd take massive pay cuts, which I think is just part of starting a company. Uh, so yeah, I mean, everybody probably- so they were partners. It wasn't so much that you hired them away, you partnered up with them and they, own, yes, they yep. still to this day have ownership of the business. Exactly. Yep. How many people? So there's seven of us in total, including myself. All right. And and yeah, so it was it was all of us taking a, a hit up front with the idea that this thing would work. And okay. uh, and then we we brought in a what feels today like an extremely small investment of uh, of let's say it's two hundred fifty thousand, um, just to oh. make sure that from the fund case, that you worked with. No, actually, it was from uh, one of one of our partners families. So okay. um, I had a, an investment background. Uh, and tell me where you are now, revenue wise. Revenue wise, I mean, now we're, you know, we'll probably do 10 to 15 million this year. How much and last we're, year? We're on, we're on our third year now. Um, last year, I want to say we were about 7 million. And, okay. uh, and the year before that was the first year we were really in business. So wow, we, this is early. fantastic. Why, why are venture capitalists willing to back companies where the core strength is outsourced to Chris? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, I think more and more VC funds, well, for, for multiple reasons. The one that I described earlier, which is, hey, here's a check. We just want you guys up and going, you know? And if these guys have proven that they can do it, then, then just work with them um, rather than trying to build your own team, which can be a, a massive headache and definitely not just working with your traditional uh, agency. Um, so, so there's that side of it. Um, the other thing that we're seeing though, too, is you find these founders have a massive depth of knowledge in a, in a industry, um, that we would never have. And, and the VC funds will love that. And they're basically like, okay, cool. If we can take your education and just pair it with people that can execute upon it, then, then we have a winning, uh, a winning, you know, uh, recipe there. But okay. even to your point, like, uh, Papa, 
uh, they mentioned they'd gone through Y Combinator and, uh, and when they're in there, they said, should we now go and hire our own team? And they said, well, is the current situation working? And they said, yeah. And they go, and why are you going to mess with it? Like, wow. <laughs> and working, Y Combinator is very engineering heavy. And, and that was what they, you know, originally going in, being honest, that was kind of one of their thoughts was, you know, oh no, we're never going to get into Y Combinator because they require you to have an engineer. And in the end, it seems like they require you to have a good business model and good founders and a way to get stuff done, you know? Wow. How much money did they raise total? At this point, somewhere over 90 million. Wow. I got to get Papa on here. It's yeah. phenomenal because it's a, it's an out there idea <laughs> and it's in, it's backed by investors, you know, I mean, uh, not by just investors, it's being paid for now by insurance companies. Yeah, you, yep. you would think that there'd be an entrepreneur somewhere saying this is great, but no one's going to pay for it. Insurance should pay for it. I see the benefit, but insurance companies won't pay for something. So out there, the fact that they nailed that is phenomenal. Okay. Completely agreed. And their, and their latest rounds from tiger, which is, which is Ooh. no small feat. You know? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's, it, and, and, you know, uh, another little point there is people here now like, oh, grandkids on demand, solving loneliness with the elderly. That makes so much sense. That's, that was such a no brainer. And I'm like, no, I was in the room when a guy that had raised a little bit here and there said, I've got the idea. It's going to be grandkids on demand. And you're just like, what are you talking about? That no, sounds like that, a horrible idea. That sounds, <laughs> you know? it does. Even to this day, I've got to say, it sounds like Oh, that should work. We should have something like that. No, society yeah. won't allow it because who wants to pay for friends and insurance is not going to cover it because they're not paying for your whacked out friendships and all this other stuff. And sure enough, it worked. All right. Let me get a sense of how you got here. The thing that you started early on was it was a 3D graphics business. Am I right? Um, it, was, it was not quite. So what, was what happened was I was learning how to use some 3D software. On your uh, own. I, from what I understand, you were in school, you saw a computer, you said, ah, this is yeah. it. What yeah, was it about the computer that made you love it so far, so, so much right away? You know, for me, I think it was um, just endless possibility. You know, it, it, it was in the yeah. situation where... Um, I mean, I, I had so many things going for me as a kid, but at the same time, I, I grew up in, in not the best area in the world where there weren't very many people doing uh, things around me that it, it didn't seem like there was a lot of amazing paths. To, you called it Lynn Hood. What was it about Lynn Hood? That <laughs> <laughs> there you, go. You, you, you read the preparation. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it, like I said, it's, it was just a, an area where there wasn't a whole lot going on um, and, uh, and, and not many role model parents kind of, uh, you know, around of like, Say nothing, my own parents, um, but just parents in general. There just wasn't much to to look up to. How and did, say, how did your parents get you there? Your, your parents, I heard, had what was it, an air conditioning and heating company? Yeah, yeah. You great, grew great. up watching them that. do it. You learned about the pride of looking at a building and saying, "We put the HVAC system in there." <laughs> right? What? How did they end up from being proud of putting their their systems in such big buildings to suddenly ending up in Lynn Hood, which was yeah, Lynn Hood? It's, it's a it's a it's a Great question. And um, unfortunately, and keep in mind, I was very young during this, this whole time. We, we moved from Oklahoma when my parents owned their, their air conditioning company to um, Linwood when I was 10. But, um, you know, they, they had a person who, who owned a, a building that you know, ordered tons and tons of work. And then when the time came to pay for it, um, he left the country. You know, and it's just one of those stories where 
I think that that hit me a lot as I was growing up is asking that same question that you just asked and hearing over and over again, you know, these are situations that can happen with owning a business. Meaning one thing, one wrong move and boom, you're done. Exactly. Exactly. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but so, yeah, I I think now something that a, a number of other CEOs have told me as well is, you know, uh, a great CEO is extremely optimistic at all times, but also the most paranoid person on the planet. <laughs> Are you paranoid now even more because that happened to your parents? One mistake? Um, I don't know. I don't know where my paranoia comes from, but I'll, I'll definitely say I grew up with- <laughs> But you the, have paranoia. Hope for the best, plan for the worst, right? How does it so, express itself today? Um, express it just- always thinking through every possible outcome of every possible situation to see how something could eventually hurt you mm. uh, and internalizing that so that external, it's just the dream that you also believe in wholeheartedly, you know, and, and I'll say that's, that's me all day long is uh, I'm optimistic to the end of the world. I am positive that we're going to become the best in the entire world at what we do without any doubt. Um, I think we've made massive strides in three years to do it. And I think you give us another two years and, and we'll own it. But does it keep you from making investments? Does it keep you from doing things? Like I remember hearing Mark Andreessen say we were scarred by the web 1.0 bubble bursting. Mm -hmm. And the interviewer that talked to him said, oh yeah, you've got to really learn a lot from that. He goes, yeah, but you can't take too much with you. Otherwise you don't take risks because you're constantly afraid of falling back. And I could hear in his voice, other people who had gone through the same thing, who didn't make the same decision. I don't know what it was, but the way he expressed it made me realize the psychology of a group of people. What is it about you that you take from that? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, So I, I I had a number of other startups uh, throughout the years as well. However, with the other startups, I never made the the full leap from completely quitting my day job and just jumping uh, in completely. Um, and then I think by the time that I came around to say, let's start very big things, I think I was ready to make the leap. And I think I kind of left those scars behind um, and, and, you know, said, Hey, it's, it's time to take chances, you know, cause, cause you're, because you know, you're half-assing so much that you knew what you were capable of. Right. Am I, mm-hmm. am I right about that? Like going back to Lynn Hood, apparently your teacher said, go door to door, sell candy, which what the, okay, fine. You, instead of selling candy, you realized something. What was it that you realized? You got to tell that story. Yeah. So, so basically at that point I said, you know, Hey, we have this army of kids that are all, <laughs> all basically working to, to sell something. Why are we just selling the school's candy? Uh, I had a pile of artwork because I've just been an artist my whole life. And, and I said, hey, guys, can we just go door to door selling my artwork and I'll chip you guys in on it? And now we're actually making some money, too. And all the kids were like, this sounds amazing. And and literally within like two or three days, they had sold my entire pile of artwork to wow. everybody in the city. And uh, I have no idea how much we made. It seemed like this massive amount at the time. Um but the, the school caught wind of it. And, and of course they're like, wait, you, you can't do this of which to this day, I'm like, but then why can you? <laughs> you right. Know, but- well, wh- and why can't you, you just saw <laughs> kids express, take initiative, do something that most adults don't. Okay. So that's who you were internally. Maybe you were scarred yeah, so yeah. much by what you're, I don't mean to be a psychologist, but I guess I kind of love this part of it. You're, you're helping you're- me. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's why I did that. <laughs> okay. And so I could see now why with this, with this innate need 
and ability you are also holding back. So let's, we'll come back to the half, uh, the half assed nature of some of the previous attempts. Go ahead. Sorry. I'll even say, you know, um, as, as I'm sure you have in your notes there too, you know, the first startup that I was working with, you know, I was 13 at the time. So this was 98, somewhere around there. Um, and I went through that same web point bust, which, which hit me, um, just like it hit everybody else, you know? So there's, there's definitely some of that left by left as well, but let's do the get to know you then. So going in chronological order, we got this kid coming up and he sees a computer, endless possibilities, different from the world around him, which is not looking for possibilities, which is not encouraging of creativity. Your creativity gets sparked by this thing. You decide I'm going to learn what on, on my own 3d graphics. Um, so, so yes and no. Um, I, I, I decided I was going to learn the internet. So the internet was AOL was the thing at the time. So how do you build these websites? That was incredibly interesting to me. Um, the other side, like I mentioned, I was an artist. So I came across this 3d software that I just wanted to, to use to create a new type of art art. You know, it's always pushing innovation. How, how can I do something newer and cooler than what's been done before it? Uh, however, as I started to use the software is incredibly complex. It's something like you could get a PhD for. And, uh, and, and so as I started fighting uphill to learn it, I just said to myself, I'm sure there's other people in the world that could use the same information. So why don't I create a website that could take, you know, what I'm learning, put in tutorials and teach other people how to do it. And then from there, it just, it, it blew up to where it was for a piece of software called 3D Studio Max. And they sold plugins for it. Uh, a number of manufacturers sold plugins for it that the plugins cost a thousand to $3,000. And there's no place to advertise them except for us in a magazine. So uh, also at that point, it just became pretty easy to start um, generating revenue from it. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where it came from. Was, but at the same time, I'm now at this point 13, and I'm having these email conversations with huge, you know, executives at big companies. And all of a sudden we're, we're interviewing people that won Oscar awards with the, with the software. And I'm talking to people in France and so forth. And it's just all of a sudden it's like, wow, anything can be done with this device, you know? And so honestly, I'd say the, the, the weight of any scars was probably outweighed by that though, too. The, possib- the endless possibilities that could come from a computer where, to use the old New Yorker line, nobody knows you're a dog on the internet. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, like yeah. They don't know that you're a 13-year-old kid or a guy who succeeded before or failed before. All right. You build this thing up. Is this the business that you ended up selling? Yeah. Yep. How so much? Getting acquired by, like I mentioned before, it was like an aqua hire by uh, 3dreview.com. I was okay. brought on there as a VP. Um, it was given like a, a, a mix of equity and so forth too. That's where it gets a little hard to say like how much. Oh, um, okay. From there, 3D Review um, ended up getting acquired by mydesktop.com, rinse and repeat. And then uh, internet bubble burst. And- so I, I heard that this was a substantial, like life-changing amount of money, but I guess it wasn't. It was just life-changing in the sense that you could see the possibility. Is that right? Or were the shares... A potential there, life changing. There, there was there's a certain amount of cash that allowed me, um, in, in my current situation, was life changing. You know, it allowed me later on in my life to move to Florida uh, with with money that was left in the bank and so forth. Um, Got it. And, and honestly, even before that, 
just the whole situation was life-changing for me because all of a sudden I'm, I'm 13 in an area where probably your, your average household income is 50,000. And, you know, I'm making drastically more than that just okay. as a cash business, you know, not, not as a, as a, um, as a, you know, future, here's the, here's the valuation of this company, but like in a, I'm actually getting checks sent to me every month that are, that are substantial. Okay. And then the next business was what? So then the internet bubble burst. And, uh, and then, as I mentioned, it was kind of, there was a side of me that always just said, Hey, uh, this is what I meant to be doing. Even though the rest of the world was like, no internet isn't happening right now. Yep. Um, so then at a certain point I said, Hey, I'm going to make a move. And part of this move is just going to be making sure that I get back into technology at any cost. And, um, and, and it literally made that move to, to South Florida. And I started saying, Hey, I don't have anything in my resume really, other than I was 13 that says I should be given a job. But, um, but that said, just give me a chance. And, um, where my first job down here was making like 30,000 a year, which was about to give you an idea, 90,000 plus less than I was making, not doing tech. What was um, it that you were doing when you were not doing tech? I was doing uh, financing for cars, you know, oh, these are wow. the opportunities available to you. <laughs> well, I thought it was like a car salesman. No, it was financing for cars. Yeah. So I was, a, I was a car salesman for when I first got out of high school for a, a few months, then from there immediately moved on to financing and then uh, into more of like what they call like desk management type stuff. Got it. Why do you make so much money in the finance desk management part of the you job? You make a lot of money in the car industry. To, really? To yeah. Um, it's, it's absurd. Like, Does it take any salesmanship to do the financing part? I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't say especially. Okay. Uh, I always wanted to sell cars. Find loans and so forth, you know, okay. but that said, there's people making, you know, three, four, 500,000, um, you know, with, with, not much experience uh, doing that. However, it is a, you're working, you know, 70, 80 hours a week with, with limited future, you know? Uh, but so that was kind of me, me saying, Hey, there is money here, but is money what you're really after? Uh, out of high school of kind of saying, you know, I guess not. So, so me as a, as a 19 year old saying, well, money's not what I, what I want. And that's what, you know, even though they say that like, Hey, money won't make you happy. Every movie that you grow up with basically says money will make you happy. Uh, you know, it's like, well, what will? And then I, I thought back and I said, I was really happy when I was running a business online, when I was pushing the, the boundaries of like how great that, that business could be. Let me get back to that. And yeah. uh, and that's really what pushed it. And so I get this little job, um, you know, like I said, making almost nothing, but at the same time on the side, I, uh, literally I got the job and then the same two or three weeks uh, that I got it, I said, well, let me learn what the latest, greatest cutting edge technology is. And in, th in the process of that, like the best way to learn something is to do it, not to just, you know, read books. So I created a little startup that was literally just a test bed for bleeding edge technology. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was like uh, dig.com back in the day. So, so TechCrunch ran a, a cover story on the startup. 
Dig.com made it their number one story. From there, uh, a site called uh, Delicious that Yahoo owned uh, made it their number one shared link of the day. And it like what blew was the up. site? It was called uh, Fortuitous. Okay. And, and it was basically the idea was uh, MySpace was blowing up at the time, which MySpace was like choose friends based on how they looked, what their height was, what their sex was, et cetera. And now these are your friends. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that's kind of horrible in a lot of ways. So why don't we instead just randomly pair people with other people where they don't see what they look like. They talk with each other for a few days. And if after a couple of days they say, Hey, I like you as a human being, then you can see each other's photos and so forth. If you even want to, you know, but that was the premise of it. Um, But more and suddenly it hits big, that. you get coverage. All right. Yeah. And all of a sudden we had 40,000 people sign up in like a couple of hours. Wow. But for me, the, the bigger thing was this was three weeks into me saying, I'm getting back into technology. It's what, where my heart's at, you know, yeah. three weeks later, I'm talking with Michael Arlington from TechCrunch because he was the only person that worked there at the time. And, uh, and, wow. and the whole thing just starts blowing up and I'm like, okay. This is this makes me happy. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And then pretty quickly, I got great jobs, and 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 you know, uh, I'm so happy that I that I made the choice to just stick with what called me in life. You could say. All right. Before we continue, my sponsor is HostGator. Let me ask you this, Chris: as someone who's entrepreneurial, keeps coming up with different ideas, if you had nothing in your life except a home in Linhood. Linwood, Washington, and a HostGator hosting package, and you needed to rebuild yourself. What's a good website that you can start off with and then build on later? What's a good, simple first start? I mean, that's that's a that's a loaded question to the Hilton back. Uh, but I'd say I, I would I would say find something you're interested in uh, that that isn't already being done to death. So something very niche um, that you have a lot of interest in. And, and then from there, whether that's like, hey, I believe in spring break trips to New York City, cool, focus on that and, and just do something like that. If you're talking about that simple, hey, I've got an idea, I got a computer, I got free host gear. Yes. Uh, that's, that's a place to start. I actually think what you did with 3D Studio Max made a lot of sense and still does to this day. If there's software that's expensive or something that's complicated, if you can create the definitive guide for starters or for people who are deeply going into it, either one, I think there's still a good start in that. And then the ability to build on top of that by building community for people who are using it, by maybe creating plugins for people who are doing it, et cetera, that seems to still be an option that makes sense. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would completely agree with you. It's 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 what they teach, you know. It's blue oceans. Try to find something that somebody's not already attacking. Um, you know, I, I think uh, uh, the Y Combinator team uh, has has done a, a great job of kind of laying a lot of this stuff out for people too, which is either find a niche that you can monopolize and own, or do something 10x better than anybody else. It's hard to do 10x better when it's just you and a computer um, in an internet account, you know, or a hosting account. Yep but you can find a niche that you can monopolize. And then, like you said, if it's something where people then have money to, uh, you know, to, if, if there's value in people handing you money, <laughs> then, then all the better. 
All right. If you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. When you do, you're going to get hosting that just works. That's dependable. I've used them for years. I haven't had an issue with them. And most people don't even know that I use them actually, except for my brother, Michael got so excited that we, we had such a low price and the thing just worked. I said, put their logo on the site, their sponsor. He made it way too big. I think they're bigger than my own logo. Anyway, it works. If you need them, you'll get an even lower price than their already low price when you go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy, hostgator.com slash Mixergy. All right, you're starting to see things work. At some point, a friend of yours, I think, or a contact from what I remember says, let's build this agency together. Am I right? Or you had an agency that you partnered up with? What am I, what am I drag? What am I trying to pull the string on? You're talking about very big things. I thought this was even before that. Wasn't there some kind of, or maybe not. I thought there was an agency that you did before that, a design agency of some kind. Um, no, there were, so, so this was the first time. I mean, there was, there was a couple of times that it popped into my head as something to go and attack. Um, there, the very first job I got in South Florida was at a tiny agency. It was literally in somebody's garage. Um, I mean this here. Here's what I've got. One person said to me, I've been building an agency for 16 years. I'll give you a third of the company if you join. We're doing big oh. numbers, but we need you to take it to the next level. You worked there for a year. Okay. Yep. So you did. This was, this was um, yeah, directly before Very Big Things. So mm-hmm. directly before Very Big Things. So I thought you were talking about earlier on. Um, directly before very big things. I mean, you just nailed it. It was um, a person that had come into the VC fund. And Uh, at that point they said, you know, Hey, will you invest in this thing? And and we said, no, we won't because it doesn't make sense. However, um, I I stayed friends with the person and we'd hang out from time to time. And, uh, and when I kind of got the itching to say, this thing needs to be created, this thing needs to be done. I'd, I'd mentioned it, and and then the response, of course, was, "Hey, why don't you come and join us?" Because while they had the while they had the idea that they were trying to bring VC funding in for, they also had an agency um, that they'd been running for about 16 years that was fairly successful. Um, so, but they were like, "Hey, you you have the chops, you have this kind of dream for it. So why don't you come and build that with us, and we'll give you you know 33 percent of uh, this this you know the development house, which is Mad Dev." Why didn't that work out? I mean, you left after a year, but you had a third of a company that had some progress, that had some focus. Yeah, so so I mean, yeah, I think things were going very well in a lot of ways. However, I think this comes down to one of the uh, most important lessons for entrepreneurs, which is, you know, I, I had people ask me recently at another talk like this, like, how do you choose your co-founders? How do you choose your partners? And, um, and the one piece of recommendation that I gave them on that is make sure it's somebody that you've worked with before. It doesn't mean somebody that you've known before. It's, it's got to be somebody you've worked with before. Um, There's a difference can, in having drinks with someone and getting to know them personally and working with them and seeing what they're like. Okay. Complete difference. Complete difference. Um, and even being friends with somebody or being uh, siblings with somebody or being cousins with somebody, any of that is very different than what you see when you're in a, a working environment with them. But, you know, it's something we we're deliberate with, with very big things is every partner was somebody that, that I had personally worked with before. I knew their work ethic. I knew how they worked inside of environments. I knew if they were the ones causing drama or the ones <laughs> like creating, okay. you know, and, okay. uh, 
And it's, I think, being able to look at that and say, okay, this person would make a great partner um, is one of the most important things. So in this I'm sensing case, that there's some touchiness here that we don't want to get too personal in the issues, but what, can you be a little specific about one thing that, that was incompatible about the two of you? Yeah. So, I mean, technically there's three of us, um, okay. but at the end of the day, I just say it was, um, yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, I don't want to get into any details. Yeah, I know. And uh, two, I honestly, I don't even know if I'm legally allowed to get into any details, but past okay. that, I don't even want to. Okay. Um, but, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll point the thumb as much as the finger and just say, at the end of the day, it, you know, it was my own fault. I, I should have, I, I wish somebody had given me the advice to say, make sure you kind of know the people you're going to work with and, okay. and how it'll turn out, you right. know? Fair enough. All right. So then your wife is pregnant, nine months, about to have a baby. You say, <laughs> this is it. I'm finally going to go do it because you'd been dancing on the edge and you go all in. Was she supportive at the time? She was. Um, and it's funny, like now it's been three years. I forget about this part of the story and just how ridiculous it, it, it is when I think back to it um, of how much we kind of jumped and maybe it may be the worst yeah. time. Uh, but no, she was, she was amazingly uh, supportive. She basically said, you've got this vision. You've got the, you know, of, of what you've wanted to do your entire life. And right now, uh, I feel like there's something hampering it and you have an opportunity to do something where you're, you're, you're kind of unchained, you could say, and just go and, and do what this vision is that you've had your whole life. And she goes at that point, she goes, you know, if, if we have to end up living in the woods in a little cabin, a little shack, because it's the only thing we can afford, yeah. but we're all happy, then, then go for it. And she's nine months pregnant when she says this, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and she's nine months pregnant with our second child. We have another one. So I don't know if it was uh, uh, just the hormones, but you'd think the hormones would be driving her to say, no, 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 no. Yeah. Just no, I, security, you know, that's one of the times in my life when I was really just paranoid about stuff like that. And I've seen it. We've gotten, we got together with other friends who are about to have babies. And I saw the same thing with them. It brings up all these insecurities in you about, can I, now make sure to protect somebody for the rest of their childhood where before, especially before you get married, when it's just, you, you think, yeah, I could just go live somewhere. It's, it doesn't take much to keep me running. I, I could literally eat ramen. I, there was a period in my life where I just ate vegetable fried rice for a buck from the Chinese <laughs> store that was a block away and got my vegetables in. All right. So I get the significance. I now see that this was you saying, I've got to do this. I'm close. I'm going to go in it. Your first customer came from where? And to hit one more thing that I think is, is worth mentioning there is because it ties directly in with, I think, her being pregnant. And you are a great therapist because um, you, you make me realize these connections. But I remember driving my daughter to school, my daughter who was older. Um, I mean, I think she was four or five at the time. Um, I was driving her to school and I was telling her, like, listen, all that matters in life is that you're you're around people that you like being around that you're doing something you love and you're passionate about and then you're pushing that you're pushing both those things and in the meantime i felt like i personally was going to a situation where i wasn't doing those things and and i had dreams and i was trying to push them but there was kind of roadblocks in the way and here i am my wife's pregnant about to bring our second child and part of me says your kids will never do 
Listen, now, now we're on a parenting podcast, but your kids will never do what you say. They'll only do what they see you do. Um, and, and I said, well, if I really believe in this and I really want them to live this way with their life, I don't have a choice. Like I have to, to do this. And, and that's when I went home and had the discussion with my wife, you know, and, and from there it's, it, it's all taken place. So, so sorry, back to your question. Then. No, that makes sense. I do find actually that, um, your, your personal hypocrisy is blind. It, you can be blind to your personal hypocrisy until you start telling your kids how to live their lives. And then you see that you're not in alignment with that yourself and you realize, Oh man, yeah. No. Yeah. I got to do um, something about this or, or, or just own the fact that I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> you can get one or two directions. Right. Right. And then, or then I don't want to be the kind of parent who I saw growing up. We would say, do as I say, not as I do. I didn't make the right decisions. You could, you should listen to me and do it. And that's kind of a loser way to live, you know, where it's, I'm giving up on myself, but now I'm putting all the burden of the things that mm -hmm. I couldn't do because I couldn't stand up. I'm putting it on you. It just, well, you should do it too. If you're telling me to do the hard thing. Completely agreed. So how did you get your first customer then? Um, so, I mean, coming from the, coming from the previous company, the previous agency that I'd started there, um, I already had a couple of people that we'd been talking to for a while and everything. So basically when, when day one came, we were fortunate in the fact that we had a couple of clients that, that could be working with us. Um, and then from there, I'm trying to think of the, the best way to say this humbly, but I, I built a good reputation, uh, in especially South Florida and the tech scene here. And I think when word spread that I was going to be creating this new agency and then the people I was creating it with, uh, which are just some amazing heavy hitters, the, the rest started to happen fairly organically to, to where people just started reaching out. People started referring as people. And, uh, and, and then, yeah, I mean, kind of the rest is history at that point. We've, so, we've uh, I was gonna say we have three principles as a company that from day one, when I was thinking, how are we going to make this successful where uh -huh. thousands and thousands of others are mediocre or fail? Um, it's, you ask yourself those questions, like, where are we going to find more clients? How are we going to advertise? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And all the solutions that I came to wouldn't allow us to hit the type of growth and trajectory to reach our goals, which our goals were like to create the best products in the world um, fast enough. And so when I really sat back with that problem for, for days, I ended up coming away with the only way we can really get there is by succeeding at three things constantly, which is like having our clients just be extraordinarily happy getting true, like red carpet service and just feeling like this is 10x better, um, doing truly exceptional products. So this is on the, on the like, hey, either do a, do a niche or do something 10x better. It's let's do 10x better. Uh, and then just so as our three principles are, you know, happy clients, extraordinary products every single time, legacy worthy products. And then the third one is a, a happy internal team. And it's just been refocused on that. But I mean, when you're doing those things, people start referring you um, to, to their friends because they had a great experience with you. Um, we started winning awards. You know, we, we got the, the Webby Award for top technical achievement in the, in the world. And the Webby is like the Oscar. And we got the UX Design Awards Product of the Year. We got Digiday's 
innovation of the year. We got the W3 award technical achievement of the year. And it just goes on and on. And it's because we were doing good work. We had happy clients and we had a happy team. Like the happy team would allow it to actually produce those things. You know, they're the ones doing the work at the end of the day. We inspire them, but they're the ones pulling it off. But when, in uh, order to get that reputation before, what was the thing that, that you were known for that allowed others to say, he's just started this agency, we need him? Yeah, I think, uh, I've, you know, I, I've been doing startups for a long time. I'm a big, big believer in the, the 10,000 hours rule, right? Which is you become an expert in anything in the entire world if you just put the time in. Um, and fortunately, I started when I was 13. So the time's been put in for a long time. So it's, it's one of those things where I, I feel like I just know this world really well. Um, so from there, I've been able to just help people throughout the years. I've been able to help myself with products we work on. Um, other startups that I work with, I've been able to consult other companies. Been able to Can give me an example of a project that you worked on before that helped build your reputation. Yeah, I mean, let me let me think. I'm trying to think of the best example. Um, okay. Well, what were you doing before? Was it? It wasn't development work, was it? Or was it development and design? So, so, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, that could be a, a particular example. So I'd, I'd been working as a CTO um, and in, in one of the, one of the companies was South Florida company called catalogs.com where mm. we're really taking something that's, you know, in desperate need of digital transformation um, and, and, and then doing that, transforming it. Um, but then after that, I, I left and went to a consulting company uh, at the consulting company is what I mentioned earlier that that three of the, the partners came from, you know, it was a very small consulting company when, uh, when I was brought on board there and, uh, and we were helping, you know, huge companies build their, their web applications, uh, which was cutting edge at the time, uh, okay. like Walmart and Apple and T-Mobile and all these different companies. So I think through things like that, um, and even when I was there, I was filling in a, not just development consultant, but also really helping on, on more of the, the strategy, strategy and ideation okay. for a lot of the clients. And then from there, I went to the VC fund where basically that was my whole job is to really kind of help nurture mm. uh, entrepreneurs. And then from there, just, you know, uh, at, at the other agency, you know, kind of doing the same thing. And then, so by the time we get to very big things, you know, uh, we, we had a couple of startups like Papa already go and find success. And um, you also work with Boat Setter? Boat Setter, yep. They're, they're one of the earlier companies? To, I mean, you were with them in the early stage or later on? Yeah, they were one of our first clients. So they were one of our first clients. However, uh, we weren't with them in the early, early stages because they ended up having some, you know, they ended up a couple of different companies acquired each other and so forth that ended up forming uh, uh, Boat Setter. That's we such a... In the early days of their technology really taking shape. Uh, I, I would... I, that's one of these great idea businesses that just makes sense, like, doesn't it? Right. That one I would totally get. And I think, why didn't I come up with it first? What boat setter is, is a way to rent other people's boats. We've seen the Airbnb of other businesses, right? There's now a company that will let you rent uh, time in, in your neighbor's pool. You want to pool with your kids, you pay, you get it right. Do you know what? I forget the name of the, the, the site, but they've turned that. Some things make sense. Some things don't. Boats that are totally does. People pay a lot of money for their boats. 
it's just sitting there to be able to charge a few hundred bucks for someone to go take your boat for a couple of hours. Makes sense. I see some of these boats go for 400 bucks for, for a few hours. When the constant recommendation from every person when you're thinking about buying a boat is just borrow somebody else's boat. Yeah. Don't buy one. <laughs> you yeah. know, like they're doing your advertising for you. Like, how many, how many days do you need to be out on one of these boats? I could see getting it and enjoying your time with it, but would you be on it every single day? No, but there's other people who would pay for it. Look at this. Here's one. Uh, you can get a 12 person pontoon here in Austin, Texas for 400 bucks. Yeah. 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 12 people. Well, you just get together with a bunch of your friends. Right. Yeah. Now you got an, now you got an event. That's the thing that you, that, that makes total, that makes total sense. I feel like uh, there, there are other things that we should be Airbnb but that is, is number one. You know, I was just out in, uh, in Napa for my 10 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just telling some of the guys here, cause they're, they're talking about how much uh, rental cars are right now because um, of car shortages and all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, like I use Turo when I went out there. I've used Turo a number of times. How's Turo doing? Prices expensive or, or reasonable? About, so to, to give you an yeah. Um, I, I had the option of getting a mediocre everyday kind of run in the mill SUV yeah. from one of the rental car companies. And it was about $1,200 for five days. I want to say four. Wow. Five and then Turo was roughly half the price. And I got a BMW X3 that had a paper plate and it's like 10 miles on it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Not only that, but I mean, the, the experience, so I, I mean, I'm a, at the end of the day, if, if, if somebody were to ask what's Chris all about, really, it's creating these amazing experiences that are yeah. enhanced by technology. Like to me, that's, that's, that's where the magic happens. And, and that's what we push literally every day at very big things is I think at the end of the day, technology is still a very new thing. I mean, it's very new and most, people's lives it's really only been a part of it for maybe 25 years what do you what do you think is missing like if if you what would you wish that somebody would come to you with to ask you to build with them what's a project that you would do if if you had the time well i mean even i'll, I'll come back to that but i'll even say past necessarily a project i would say what's missing is truly truly intuitive user experiences uh, I think we've come a long way, you know, things started with desktop applications and it turned into the internet and then it turned into like, you could have some sort of internet on your phone. Then it turned into the iPhone, um, which, which was a, a major revolution. Once again, now people are playing with VR, they're playing with AR, they're playing with yeah. uh, voice interfaces like Alexa and so forth. However, you know, I, I think we still have so far to go. Um, and what, where are you seeing the user experiences? Is painful. Sorry, I keep interrupting. I keep interrupting. Where do you see the user experience is so painful that you wish somebody could fix it? Where are you seeing that now? I mean, is it fair for me to say everywhere? No, I, I because you know what? If I if I look at boat setter, it's pretty straightforward. I, a lot of things are pretty straightforward. The only place where I see that there's a user experience desert is when I do anything with my um, with a a doctor of any kind. It's a horrible experience. If it's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a painful one. Anything where they have to send you private messages, terrible experience. I find, um, that banking is pretty awful and I like what Mercury is doing with it. Um, Mercury for business banking, but and not uh -huh. to joke, but to what, what, what I would say is, I mean, a, you're completely right. 
Um, but on the flip side of that coin, I think you're comparing the, the great experiences you've had to, to bad experiences you're having and saying, how do we bring those bad experiences up yes. to, to match the ones that you right. currently experienced? Um, but then I take that back a step and pre iPhone, if boat setter is just on the website and it's very intuitive website, you'd say, this is as intuitive. This is the most intuitive thing ever. Why isn't my doctor this easy? But then somebody came out with an iPhone and all of a sudden you go, oh, this is so much more intuitive. Uh, so, you're saying as, as much as I like the way things are right now. There's a whole other level. There's, there's a whole so other level. Far. You know what? I heard Dharma Shaw on uh, my first million podcast. He's the founder of HubSpot. He said one of the things that he's looking into is how you can use, um, is it artificial intelligence? I don't know, frankly, what language he's, what, what he's talking about that would do it. I forget. It doesn't really matter. But the end result is he says, why do we have to learn how we can design this thing? Why can't we just say to the software, put the box in this corner? Why can't we just say, I need a landing page that does X, Y, Z and have it built? Why do we have to even drag and drop? That's too complicated. And we're seeing now that um, artificial intelligence is getting smart enough that it's doing writing for people. And that's where I've seen a lot of excitement. What else can we get it to do where we, uh, we explain something and it gets done? Yeah, I see what you mean. It's a next level that we can't anticipate now. There's, yeah, there's new interfaces to technology that we're just not using. Right, but right. Here to there, that's, that's definitely where the, the excitement lies for me is, is like one day we'll find that perfect interface and I just want to be a part of that. You know? Right, right. You we know what? The perfect interface maybe is not even an interface. I, I would imagine. You know what I would love is have everything be more intuitive. I just got to Austin. Why should my car know that I'm about to get into it and heat it up? I mean, even if I'm coming out of a store, my key is in my pocket. If my phone is in my pocket, why can't it say, you're about to get to the car. We're going to turn on the air conditioning. I see how close you are. Like little things like that. I shouldn't even have an interface. It should just know what I'm about to do. Completely agree. Right, right. All right. I see what you're talking about. Now we're thinking too much about how do I bring the current interface to more things instead of saying, what is the next interface that is so painfully hard to, to bring about? that we could be focusing our energy on, right? And that's, that's I think that drive and is what's pushing us to win these like, you know, UX design awards, like product of the year and so forth. What have you done that's especially exciting and pushing things forward? Oh, I mean, so, I mean, in that particular case, it's, it's hitting it from a different angle. Um, that particular case was um, looking at, populations of people that were being underserved, you know? So mm -hmm. in that situation, it was um, people that have autism and other developmental disabilities that interfaces have largely just left behind and saying, how do we make something that works just as well or better for them as it uh -huh. would for any other person, you know? So th that was a particular use case. And that one is like, how do we really push that, that world forward? And, uh, and that was, as, as you can imagine, just, massively exciting and, and, and one of those where you, you literally get to see how you're changing people's lives um, using technology, you know? Um, in that particular case, what we actually did is uh, one of the, the, the hardest issue for somebody with a developmental disability um, when they go to find their independence isn't working a job. They can work thousands of jobs drastically better than I can. Um, however, getting through the interview process, which is pure communication. And the hardest part of developmental disability is communicating, 
So they get to the interview and they can't, they, they just hit this roadblock where, you know, they just don't know what to say. They don't know how to have that human interaction that gets them the job that they can do awesome. So we, we built a system that did mock interviews with them where they're actually talking to an avatar and they can go through these interviews, get comfortable with it. And I mean, they, they throw, they throw things at, at the, the people that, you know, like little things like sneezes that can throw people off, but also uh -huh. weird, things like getting up and walking out in the middle of a question. <laughs> it really helps them. Uh -huh. um, but then you hear all the people and they're coming back saying, I got this job and now I, I have my independence and I can go and, and do things that other adults are doing. Um, because of the system. And it's just like, okay, cool. We, we did something right on that one, you know? I see it on your site. That's the Dan Marino Foundation. Exactly, yep. Oh, wow. You've also worked with Mapbox. I love that company. Um, They're awesome. They're awesome. All right. The website is, for anyone who wants to see it, it's verybigthings.com. I'm imagining that a lot of people are going to want to contact you and say, all right, I need a co-founder. I got some money. You're looking for people who have like what before they, they're a good fit for you? Uh, looking for people that are um, people that are driven, people that are ambitious, people that are great founders. Uh, one, one of the big things that we look at, because keep in mind our clients are both startups as well as enterprise companies. Uh, at the enterprise companies, you need a internal champion that's willing to be ambitious mm. and take a chance, you know, yeah. versus um, saying like, Oh, I could get in trouble if, if this wild idea doesn't go right. Uh, saying, no, let me, let me be the agent of change. Let's do something awesome. Uh, but then on the flip side with startups, it's all about that founder. You know, we're looking for the Andrew Parkers that come in and say, Hey, I'll piece this thing together. I'll do whatever's needed to prove that it can work. Um, I'll make this thing happen. You guys just help me figure out the interface. You help me figure out the technology, you help me figure out the design, you help me figure out the strategy, but I'll push it. And so when, I mean, being honest, we're, we're pretty picky choosy about who we work with these days, probably turn down about nine out of 10 uh, people that come our way. And the cherry picking helped us, of course, and we're looking at long-term vision, not just a short-term you know, project. But so we're looking same way like a VC fund would look to invest in somebody. It's like, is this founder somebody that's going to push this? Um, so yeah, it's that's, that's I get what that. it's not an amount of money. It's it's you know that founder or or that or that champion. You know, are they somebody that can can push something that's really great? All right, I like your website. Um, Thank you. I like how surprisingly <laughs> decent, right? I, <laughs> Well, um, I think there's a, there's a standard way that companies that build display their stuff. And I like that this isn't that, um, but it's just clear and right to what I need. All right. It's available at verybigthings.com. And I want to thank the sponsor who made this interview happen. When you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. Chris, thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you. Have a great one. Bet. Bye. Bye, everyone.